My name is Katie Freeman. I am the host of the Maker Mom podcast with this weekly Wonder Women segment. This week's Wonder Women segment is with Alexis of Lexi Makes. Um, I first got introduced to Alexis when she reached out to me after listening to the podcast episode where I interviewed Laura Mays, who is a fantastic furniture maker. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure you go back and check that one out as well. Uh, so when I had the chance, opened up this new Wonder Women segment, I reached out to Alexis to have her on the podcast. So I'm super excited to talk about all of her experience. She has some really unique experience specifically in furniture making and I'm excited for you all to get to listen to that but before we hop into the podcast I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon so thank you so much Bonnie of Tool Mom Bonnie, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much. And make sure you stick around to the end of the podcast episode so you can learn about how you can support the podcast as well. All right, let's head on in to uh, the interview with Alexis of Lexi Makes. <music> First thing is I have my guests inter, uh, introduce themselves. So okay. if you want to give an introduction about yourself. <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm Alexis. Um, I am a craftsperson, woodworker, um, all sorts of things. You know, wood is my passion. But uh, right now I'm actually helping to run a nonprofit maker school in Pittsburgh um, that kind of encompasses all sorts of equipment from like welding to machine shop and a wood shop, of course. So, um, but yeah, right now I'm kind of focusing on the educational elements and sharing right. those skills. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, before we get into the kind of the current state of things, um, <laughs> let's talk about your childhood. Uh, where'd you grow up? What kind of things were you into? Um, I grew up in Chicago. Um, so I was always into art and kind of making things, um, but a lot more 2D. Like I drew a lot, I painted a lot. Um, I did some sculpture here and there, but uh, growing up in Chicago, they do not have any sort of real shop classes in public schools. Um, so it was definitely more along the 2D route. Um, and then I went to school for industrial design in Pittsburgh. Um, and that's when I got introduced to um, more 3D making and the wood shop specifically. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just talking with um, Kate Duncan. I had her on last week and we were talking about that. She grew up in um, Canada. Okay. And so I kind of asked her, like, she started with woodshop in junior high, you know, and it went all the way through high school. And I asked her if that was typical because – I know here in the States, like my junior high and high school in Iowa had woodshop, but that was seen even then. And I'm going to severely date myself and we'll say, we'll just say the nineties. Um, <laughs> even then it was seen as unique because yeah. so many, I remember like hearing like about everybody's programs kind of going away because there was no funding. Um, was there ever, do you know, was there ever in Chicago, like, shop class and it just kind of went away because of funding or? You know, that's a pretty good question. I don't know. I mean, 
Yes, I would imagine so, but I don't have any real life examples in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure when that would be or if you if it was only like if that was at public schools or if it had to be like private. I don't know. Mm -hmm. OK. Um, yeah. And were you you were in the public school system? Yes. OK. Were you suburbs or like Chicago City? I was in Chicago City. I was, always went to, um, my mom sent me kind of like on, definitely on the outskirts of the city to all sorts of like special programs and mm -hmm. magnet schools. Um, so, but I did, I was kind of all over. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I asked because I'm only a little over three hours away from Chicago. So um, not too far away from where I live. <laughs> Um, all right, so you went to Pittsburgh to go to school. Um, mm. What got you into industrial design? Like, how did you even know that was a thing? Yeah, um, that's a good question because <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure. I think about that a lot. I know that I was always interested in the arts, and I always had that kind of mentality um, that conditioned mentality, I should say, that you can't really make a living in the arts. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to figure out a way to, um, you know, build a practical career, quote unquote. Um, and then, of course, like, I really kind of digressed after I actually graduated <laughs> um, and went way more like arts, traditional arts, I guess, um, or non-traditional career paths. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, so that that was part of it. I know that I was really interested in the processes, the folks behind the made things in our world. It seemed to me that they had so much to like, and there was just so much interesting things that they could think about and they were literally shaping our worlds without our knowing. And so I think that upset me a little bit and I wanted to be involved in those conversations. Um, and so I talked about that and, um, and learned about something called product design. And from there did my research to all the schools that had like product design kind of things. And so mm -hmm. that's how I ended up on it. That's, that's awesome. Um, I wish I had taught myself that because <laughs> I did not have any visibility to like what career path would lead to that whatsoever. I knew I really was like into art and into, I've always been into furniture like, mm -hmm. I was the kid designing furniture with Legos and cardboard boxes and, like, that kind of thing. For sure. Um, but I knew of woodworkers because I had woodworkers in my family. And so I don't know if that made it so I didn't, like, have any more curiosity about, like, how mm -hmm. you get to that level. So I didn't even know that existed. I wish I would have known that existed. <laughs> That's pretty cool. See, I, I don't even, I'm not sure that I had any woodworker examples in my family either or, um, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, I also think it's a little bit of you make what you will of whatever path you choose and clearly you've found your way to where you are now. And, True. uh, <laughs> yeah, so it, nothing is linear. I've, I've looked back at that whole trajectory of mine and I can make sense of it now but it definitely I I have to connect the dots when I'm explaining it to folks because it does feel very like sporadic otherwise yeah yeah well I mean now that so you're on the east coast Pittsburgh um I would say that's a really kind of exciting place to be to me for like the craft especially the craft of woodworking and like furniture design and stuff because um I just feel like there's a lot going on over there on that in that part of the country with that yeah I think um Pittsburgh is a very creative community for sure I also think um we're so close to Philly and there's definitely like furniture centric craft centric city right there um and 
before I came back to Pittsburgh, actually a couple years ago, I was working over closer to Philly um, at Nakashima Woodworkers, which is like maybe 45 minutes north-ish from mm -hmm. Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I feel like that different level of craft, um, like seeping into the culture around here. And it definitely, there's a lot of woodworkers specifically that have come out of here. And then Pittsburgh, I see a lot of like, a lot of folks who are interested in, very much in doing things themselves, just in general. Um, so they, um, there's like no inhibitions there and they, there's a lot, um, it's just a heavy DIY culture and a lot of folks buying their own homes and fixing things up. Um, so I think it really comes out of that too. Probably a little bit about like, I mean, that comes from, I would say like the DNA of that city, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Pittsburgh is steel workers and stuff yeah. like that. Like, you know, very, um, I guess like blue collar, uh, type of roots, uh, hard work ethic, you know, kind of the knowledge that they can make anything they want to make type of thing, I feel like. And then also like all pretty old infrastructure. So yeah. they have to be able to know how to do those things um, in order to kind of move forward. So I think that's kind of exciting in comparison to, I guess, what I think of like you know, Chicago, that's my neck of the wood. That's like mm -hmm. Midwest. Like there's right. definitely a different mindset, I think, around craft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're teaching at the school or helping run the school uh, right now? Both, um, <laughs> a little bit of both. I'm, I'm the educational manager, um, so it's a new space, new-ish. So over the past couple of years, they've been compiling really large industrial equipment. Um, and what's new, I actually just came on board in February, maybe six weeks before Pittsburgh shut down. <laughs> um, and we were going really hard on, um, as this was the first chance that this space had to actually have a large, a quote unquote, larger staff, meaning more than one person who was an employee. <laughs> it is uh, primarily volunteer run and it's a community based space. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very, it's a member based space. Um, so right now, all of the educational material revolves around very basic training. Like here is how you can, in two hours, learn the basic operation of this machine. And, um, you know, to the point where we feel comfortable, where you can come in and kind of teach yourself more, or maybe you're already an expert. But for folks who are completely new to, let's say, like a wood lathe, that's that two hours is not very much time. Yeah. Um, and also there's so much opportunity to learn um, immersively through projects. And we see that model time and time again through all sorts of craft schools mm -hmm. um, and things like that. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure out what our, um, what our flavor of school is, um, knowing very much that makers in this area are very um, – kind of do-it-yourselfers, they're mm -hmm. very eager to learn on their own. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Um, it's developing. We're, we're very much a, a new baby school um, <laughs> with lots of exciting tools. Yeah. Okay. So to you, like, what separates you from being, like, a communal shop space, like maker mm -hmm. space, versus a school? Like, how are you guys differentiating that? That's a good question. Um, so I guess in a couple different ways, but primarily um, the, the founding members of this space are very much, they've, um, they've come from around the city and came from basically other shops, one in particular, that kind of is no more. Mm -hmm. um, so all rallying around that, uh, the awareness that Pittsburgh as this space that you're so, you know, kind of on the nose describing, um, 
like there's value for just folks to be able to come into a space and use these tools. Um, but these folks are not always necessarily um, people who have taught elsewhere before. They don't think of themselves as teaching artists or anything like that, mm -hmm. at least not always. Mm -hmm. um, but they're really excited and enthusiastic about the things that they're making. And there's a hunger to dive deeper into these skills. So that's one. We want to be able to kind of nurture that and bring in really awesome people who are already doing like things maybe a step beyond that can mm -hmm. lift other people up. Um, and we also want to have this opportunity for folks who just are excited about sharing and making um, to basically prep them so that or arm them with the right tools so that they can also share those skills um, and before before the shutdown I should say there is all different sorts of ways to enter the space um, mm -hmm. one of which is like 24/7 access um, so it's it's different to have your garage next to your home with all of your tools where mm -hmm. it's just you or maybe you have a friend who comes and assists you versus having a whole like 100 plus group of folks from different skill sets, um, you know, from like small metals to 3D printing and laser cutting. And when you're in the same space, um, there's no telling what will come out of it. Because you walk mm -hmm. by, you see someone's project, um, you bounce ideas off of one another, and things just grow very organically. Um, so it's, it's a special kind of thing. Um, whereas if we were just a, uh, strictly just a school, I also think it would be just classes all of the time mm -hmm. and not really that access to outside of maybe residencies or things along those lines to just explore and tinker and, and have this be like your, um, like your home away from home while your right. friends hang out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have residency programs? You know, um, that is very much in the works right now. Um, but no, nothing solid yet, no big announcements. So, <laughs> um, but part of, part of what COVID has had us do is um, think about how we can pivot quickly. And mm -hmm. as, as a space who we were ramping up to launch our first series of like in-depth classes this summer, um, and this is just not the right time to yep. responsibly host classes. Um, so other things we've been toying with are, are what would a residency in our space look like? Um, and all sorts of things. Um, we also did shift to make um, PPE for mm -hmm. March. Um, we are very much focusing on like face shield production and face mask production and doing that in ways um, you know, we had, we had the tools, we had access to some materials, and that was the quickest way we were able to pivot. Mm -hmm. And now, I don't know what it's like where you are, um, but some areas are starting to kind of like, quote unquote, reopen, or slow reopen. Um, you know, lots of feelings around that, but <laughs> Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pittsburgh is one of them. And so we've had to figure out how, what our version of that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in in Iowa specifically, we never actually shut down, um, okay. <laughs> which I have all sorts of emotions around <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> so we never actually shut down, and um, things. I guess there there was a shutdown to an extent of like restaurants and bars um, and that sort of thing, but it's become very heavily reliant on on the actual spaces themselves to determine mm -hmm. like what level of open they're going to be and so you have a wide range of that you know what that's going to sure. look like um but our we have a maker space um that's actually a, a mit fab lab uh okay. type space and they too pivoted and started making face shields um, and other PPE uh, in March when this all started to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not, not really surprised there when you said that's what you guys <laughs> ended up doing. Uh, but that's great, you know, that 
Um, and, I, and I've seen through social media a lot of individual makers, you know, like who have 3D printers and stuff like that, um, yeah. doing that, using their time, their materials to help um, our healthcare workers, which is awesome. I think that's um, really great to see. Um, let's talk a little bit more now specifically about your making. So outside <laughs> of the school, um, you said when you were in college, that's when you got kind of into the 3D uh, world. Was it all woodworking at that time? Or I mean, like yeah. what mediums do you work with a lot of the time? Um, I think, I, I guess I describe it as my affinity is towards woodworking. Um, and I just love it as a material. Um, I love working, having kind of more of like a, a quote-unquote dialogue with nature, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I definitely dabble in all sorts of things. I think that what design opened me up to was being able to put on many different hats um, and learn them quickly, um, at least to the extent that I needed to for whatever project. Um, so I guess example. So yeah, furniture likewise is uh, a passion of mine. Um, beyond that, I've been really lately getting into fabric, actually getting into textiles. And I know there's some overlap there mm -hmm. for upholstered work, um, which seems really daunting to me. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried upholstery. I, I have, and I won't claim to ever be super duper successful at it. <laughs> um, but it is something that I want to dive more into um, as a me especially as a means to open up my design yeah. like I want to be able to produce that upholstered work when that's how I think the design would best be played out yeah and I guess for me, there's so much left in the woodworking world to learn and to kind of get good at that I'm never bored with it. So, mm -hmm. um, like, I love I love hot glass, if you've ever worked with that. That's actually one of the things that kept me in Pittsburgh after mm -hmm. I graduated is there's a really great local glass center um, that's also kind of a nonprofit school slash rental space. Um but again, like that's another craft where it takes so long to master. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Do you feel like you're like, is it your personality type to want to master things or is it your personality type that wants to try as many things as possible? Mm. Um. I definitely, making definitely um, kind of triggers that perfectionist in me. Um, so when I'm trying to make a thing, I want that to be done well, um, as well as I can. So like honing my dexterity and things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, But outside of that, like other crafts, I think it would be striving for mastery is like a very big uh all right, I'm super excited for this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor is Tool Mom Bonnie or Tool Mom and Company. So Tool Mom and Company is for all ages, genders. Uh, they have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts or clothing or both. Um, her products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. And you can check her out at www.toolmomstore.com or find her on Instagram under toolmombonnie and Bonnie's B-O-N-N-I-E. Uh, you can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the coupon code MAKERMOM. So I have two of her mugs. I have one that says, I believe, what is it? Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> One is like the definition of a tool woman and the other one is just like a circular saw with flames coming off of it and I believe it says uh, go girl on it and they're super fun mugs 
I, I love drinking coffee out of them in the morning. If it's not out of my Wonder Woman mug, it is out of one of those two mugs. So you definitely should at least check out the mugs, if nothing else. And remember, extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. All right, thank you, Tool Mom Bonnie. And let's get back to the episode. Like a, a very, um, it would take a lot of time. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, so- I, always, I always say like the best example I can think of when you're talking with woodworkers is like dovetails, right? Mm-hmm. Like... Are you the type that would find satisfaction out of being able to consistently create dovetail joinery? Mm -hmm. Or are you the type to be like, I tried it once, that was great, let's try (laughs) all the other ways of doing joinery too? (laughs) That's a good question. Probably I lean towards more like I would be satisfied with doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. learning how to make the dovetails but there's just so much else out there I would be sad not to try it all (laughs) (laughs) I mean luckily you know you know god willing you live for a very long time and so you could you can probably master dovetails in addition to trying other things um but I think it definitely takes like a certain personality type for that right like personally I have no like I want to try to make dovetails probably once or twice but I have no desire to like master that technique yeah um however if I decided to continue to go further down the line of like really hone in my furniture design then that might become something I need to do right Mm -hmm. and so I would but at this point it's like depending on what it is a screw to me works just as well (laughs) as a dovetail that's totally fair (laughs) I completely agree and and I think that it is very much um I guess I'll go back to my my designer side it's totally case dependent if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. It's like mm-hmm. what what is this piece supposed to last a lifetime? Will a screw do that? Then mm-hmm. is there like what's the time constraint here? It's all right. those sorts of questions. Um, you know, part of the reason why I'm really interested in wood joinery is the um, like being able to use a material that feels like it's doing less harm in some ways. Oh yeah. Um, So, so that's definitely a part of it. And and I guess I will say too, that um, for the bulk of my career so far, um, my work as a designer working for others has in in the furniture world has very much focused on, um, on like how to embrace the beauty of wood and how to design something around the piece of wood Mm -hmm. and then kind of like um, supporting then of course, like what the client wants, what, what is, what does this person want? Of course, is always a consideration and you want to advocate for that client, but it was kind of starting from the wood, right? Um, There's many ways to go about things. Um, And right now I'm really interested in kind of flipping that what that switch or that story. Um, and start from who am I designing for, um, which to me is a little bit different from what do they want. Um, for me, it's a little bit of like understanding this person in the same way that I would look at a piece of wood to understand this piece of wood. Right. And then um, and designing around that person. Um, mm-hmm. Because something that I've really found is that one, um, like, the idea of ergonomics and and the whole study of it is really, really critical and important. Um, But it also, all of these standards that it creates, um, it marginalizes folks. And I'm interested in finding a way (laughs) to design (laughs) to individuals that doesn't become, I don't know, somehow doesn't become super cost prohibitive and like can be accessible for folks to do. Um, but I, I want to design things that people feel good using, um, and also like are feel nice in their home because they think it's beautiful to them. Um, so it's kind of a different approach and a little bit away from just a pure interest in doing really awesome joinery. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, a lot of what you're saying <laughs> uh, struck a chord with me. I don't know if you watched, ever watched, it's on, uh, you can watch it on uh, Amazon Prime, but it's uh, the story about uh, Wharton Eshrick. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it who, you know, helped create the studio craft movement. Um, And he was very much about uh, watching that. He was about like, okay, somebody would say, I need a whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. a thing. And they would go to him for it. And in their talks, you know, it might be six months, it might be a year before (laughs) they see that. But it was like, when they got it, 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 it was theirs. Like it was everything about them and how they would interact with the piece and how it would, in, you know, interact with them. And so it's very, to me, it's more of a artistic approach, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to furniture, because that's the thing too, right? With any art piece, it speaks to somebody, this person differently than to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, <laughs> I think what you were getting at too a little bit was uh, representation. Um, I, I uh, had another maker on here and we talked about how like mid-century modern was, is historically for white people, right? Mm-hmm. There wasn't much representation of uh, people of color within that design. Um, and so you know, she's kind of on this journey of taking mid-century modern and reclaiming it or mm-hmm. claiming it as, you know, something of her own and putting uh, her own spin on it. And I think that's super important and super interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did catch that episode, yeah. actually. I And yes, 100%. <laughs> I'm all about it and really excited to keep watching that journey. Um, yeah. 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 So I think that's, I mean, I think that's important, right? Is to mm-hmm. bring in different cultures from around the world, not just Eastern European uh, background into our design realm. So you talked about like when you were a designer. So did you work for like a design firm right out of like out of college? Um, so I worked for a couple different, actually more maker spaces right out of college. Okay. Um, and then I worked for Nakashima Woodworkers for about four years. Um, so that was really the, um, my formative like furniture design, um, like being in that designer role, right? So I worked with, um, with the creative director and at that time was her sole designer. So I was, um, basically present for every stage of the and directed or you know co-directed or helped work right. along every stage um so it was also it's it's such a special place in that not many um woodworkers or woodworking studios much less have the luxury to take their time mm-hmm. um like a lot of decisions have to be made um around what's most efficient so that we can get this out the door um for a number of very valid reasons right, right. um but because this studio in particular is um you know the founder uh george nakashima built that company around the idea of like, no, we're going to take it slow. We're going to do this right. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, um, and, and not making any sacrifices along the way. Um, that very much still is and has to be their philosophy and approach. Um, and I think that naturally is the way that I like to approach things. Um, Mm -hmm. so working for a place that could afford to do those things, um, you know, I was really, really fortunate. Um, yeah. Did you did you like sit there and document how in the world did they get into a become a successful business by doing <laughs> that by doing that in today's world? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> it was uh, you know from everything I know about George, he he passed away right before I was born. Um, so from reading his materials and hearing from his family and seeing the, what he built literally, um, which actually his studio is not very far from Morton Eshrick's studio. Okay. I don't know if you've had a chance, but you ever I've never been one? to either one, but I would love to be to, to go to. Yeah. 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 Um, definitely. 
uh, super inspiring, both spaces mm-hmm. and su- both spaces so much um, aligned. You can see the individual. It's basically like walking into their minds. Um, in Wharton Eshrick's case, it's kind of like walking into an oil painting. Mm-hmm. And in George's space, it's like everything is just at peace and you walk in there um, and done with such intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, everything that I've learned about George is he is such, um, his life, he lived such a unique life. It was like this rare constellation of timing in the world and just intelligence and attention to, and talent. And um, I, I don't know that we can really, it's like those greats that just, you know, yeah, happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and honestly, I think about this a lot, um, is the fact that he moved to New Hope with his family, um, not out of very much choice because they were incarcerated in the camps and had gotten um, sponsored out. Mm-hmm. And New Hope was the only place that they could go up as a, um, outlined by that sponsorship, just by mm-hmm. what it all entailed. And uh, so it was a time of, you know, great prejudice, not right. that things have changed in a lot of ways. Um, but I think about that in terms of forming the company that has such world renown right now in that moment, right? So like, there's something really special there. Um, and something that the family is doing a really great job preserving. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, um, I wish that there were like a manual of how do you do these things. How do you do these um, things? Just because it, it very much is, he very much incorporated work with life. Like his mm-hmm. home is right next to the shop and living with that sort of balance and alignment with something that you would just love to do all the time. Like that's, that's the dream, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah. and, and I, um, I remember thinking that when I, when I watched the, you know, the documentary about Eshrick too, it was like, that is the dream that is. um, And the fact that he could take six to 12 months to, you know, finish a piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe I think the thing to highlight in both cases was, um, a desire to make quality and to make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so that in the end, that spoke volumes, right? Mm -hmm. Like people will pay uh, for that (laughs) Um, once they can see it proven out that that's something that's worth the weight and worth the price. Um, I guess personally, I always struggle though, like, with that thought of like, I can never, I will probably never be able to afford a piece that I make. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so how do you reconcile that and knowing that you want to create also have a passion for creating access to that? Um, Absolutely. And and I honestly, I don't know exactly what the prices were originally for Nakashima pieces, but that mm -hmm. was actually something that he very much cared about. Um, so unfortunately after his passing, like his, uh, his studio that still lived on that he very mm-hmm. much made in such a way that, so it could live on, um, you know, by training his daughter and he, he had a shop full of woodworkers. It wasn't just him. Right. right. Um, but as soon as he passed, those new pieces were in competition with all of his vintage pieces. Right, so the right. prices went astronomically up and now, you know, only so much bigger people can afford those things. Um, but yeah, it's that, that's the thing too. It's um, how do we get to a place where like where it, I don't know where we can balance the, that cost um, pay ourselves and also make keep it accessible for not just a few people. Um, Do you think that's where the role of teaching craft comes in? For me, yes, um, at least in my experience. Um, 
you know, being open to sharing skills and sometimes not even just skills, but your designs, like teaching mm-hmm. your designs. Like that's a really great way to um, build that community. And I don't know, I'm much more interested in empowering folks to be able to do it for themselves mm-hmm. um, rather than just be that person that says, hey, this is what you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, knowing, of course, that there are still going to be folks who can see that and like, hey, I appreciate that offer of teaching me this, but that's not how I want to spend my time. Right. <laughs> Those are the folks that I can align with, you know. Right. Um, but... I've met a lot of great teachers and um, I think that there's a very real reason why not just um, woodworking teachers, but all art teaching artists, why, um, why that is a name teaching artists, right? That teaching has for so long been a part of an artist's like livelihood. And I think that that is part of the reason. Um, So yeah, I guess so. What is your, I mean, are you still getting a chance to design pieces on your own now for people? Um, That's a good question. Um, So the real answer is no. (laughs) Um, But I don't know how, uh, gosh, the shutdown is crazy. Yes, yes (laughs) um, you know finding new ways to incorporate all all of find that balance um it's been trying for everybody you know mm-hmm. and so when we shifted into ppe production it was well over a full-time job um and that wasn't even my real job right right so, <laughs> so, um so i've definitely not had time to think about much other than that for a mm-hmm. while um but still finding time to make small things. Um, and I find a lot of my joy in taking classes with others. Um, mm-hmm. So taking brush making classes with Aspen Gullen, if you follow her at all, mm-hmm. she's a wonderful instructor. Um, taking Making little boxes, um, small things that I can still dig into and um, I just find myself in the shop again. Mm -hmm. Um, But larger pieces have definitely been put on hold. Um, Although slowly, I'm hoping to get back into that. For me, going back to um, that furniture kind of practice, that Mm -hmm. um, flipping of the story for me, um, a lot of that involves me learning about anatomy from a different perspective. Um, so not just understanding the, invi- the individual and their kind of like stylistic tastes, but also understanding just how, how we hold our body mm-hmm. and what is held in the body. So emotionally, trauma, like all sorts of things. And how can furniture literally support you um, in a small way in that healing process? Um, mm-hmm. So my when I find that balance again, um, that's really what I want to be doing is doing that deep dive into anatomy um, studies and specifically studies of, you know, things like how trauma is held in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a really wonderful woodworker in Japan, actually, uh, Takyoshino, and he does, um, he makes this incredibly beautiful in so many ways of that word, Um, chair that was designed after he spent 10 years working with chiropractors and zazen masters to understand the body's needs in those ways. Um, So he created a chair that is specifically designed per person. Um, You know, you have to measure the, Mm -hmm. the height from the heel of your foot so it sits flat. Your legs are at that right angle to the knee height. Where does your tailbone sit? All those sorts of things. And this chair supports you in such a way that your tailbone is actually suspended Hmm. and it helps to over time in sitting, you know, correctly and breathing through, through sitting in this chair, it helps to kind of correct and heal the body um, from one certain lens. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you mentioned before, like 
um, in some ways through representation and all other ways too. Like there's so many other things that so many of our bodies need to be healing from. And I really just want to be able to offer folks a place to sit. Like I just, you know, <laughs> something that would seem so simple, right? Um, but like with true care and, mm-hmm. um, you know, learning about them. So, hmm. so that's, it's going, it's, it's a, I guess a bit lofty in that I have a lot of learning to do. Um, but I, but it's, I mean, that's a super intriguing idea, right? To me, then beyond asking, like, what's the difference or what's the distance between your knees and your heels and, and figuring all that to make a chair for somebody you could be getting into like what traumatic experiences have you had like to understand and how to support them in those ways as well. Um, yeah, that could get super interesting. Um, what, why do you think you're drawn to these types of things? Like, what is drawing you in that direction? Um, it's just something, it, it combines a lot of things for me, I guess, in the same way that we were talking about integrating work and life. Like, all of these things are intertwined, and as we... Um, I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't know that I have the words to articulate it the way I'd want to, but for me, it just, it makes sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. I went to Nakashima with the question of like, how do I do this thing? How do I do this thing? Well, how do I do this material justice? Mm -hmm. Um, and I learned a lot in that realm. Um, and I, I also learned a lot about myself in that some of it was already in me. So some of it, you know, sometimes we have some of those questions and we just have to learn to listen mm-hmm. to ourselves or to trust ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I met Takyoshino, I understood he answered the, the question of why, not how, but like why keep making furniture? And for me, um, with a thousand plus chairs out in the world. Um, It was really, I wasn't finding that answer in a way that made sense for me. And Mm -hmm. until I came across that idea and realized there's so many other ways that like the body needs healing. Um, So I think that's why, if that answers your question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I can't even answer back to you if that answers my question. Um, (laughs) What, how does like your family feel about this path you're on? Like what kind of responses do you get like from your mom and stuff? I mean, my family wants me back in Chicago. <laughs> That's what they want. I figured um, that was in there somewhere. <laughs> they're super supportive. They've always been really, really supportive. And I credit them, honestly, with the bulk of my happiness and mm-hmm. how I got to do any of these things. Um, so, so, yeah, they're supportive. I, I do have to do a lot of explaining. Uh, <laughs> um but, you know, my, my mom, for one, is very much like um, has that maker in her DNA as well, although she never pursued it professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really game to get talked into taking a class with me. Um, so we just took a, a box making class with Matt Kenny last fall. Um, she was you know, nervous because she'd mm-hmm. never been in a wood shop, but, but yeah, so she, she appreciates it. And she really, um, and my dad as well, they're both really excited that I can do something that brings me so much happiness. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I want to just find a way, um, that puts all of their hard work and support to get me here. Um, that makes it, worthwhile mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. awesome that really is awesome um 
Well, Alexis, we're actually like at the end of our time <laughs> together. Um, so I want to give you a chance, though, to you know let people know how they can find you. Sure. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Lexi Makes. Um, it's L E X C Makes. Um, or if you're in Pittsburgh, you can find me at Puerto Haven. Um, sometimes I teach classes with Workshop PGH as well. Um, so yeah, happy to see any of those spots. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for thinking of me. This is really, this is a new experience for me. So. <laughs> well, you can mark it off your list now, right? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So again, that was Alexis with Lexi Makes. And I will include how you can follow along with her in the show notes and in the description down below. If you are watching this on YouTube, you can check that out. Now, if you are enjoying the podcast with the now two episodes a week, one on Wednesdays with the Wonder Women segment and one on Fridays with the Maker Mom interviews, and you want to help support the podcast, there's a few things you can do. First of all, it's one thing you can do that's super easy and it costs you nothing is to make sure that whatever you're listening to the podcast on or watching the podcast on, you hit that subscribe button. Then if you can go to iTunes and leave a five-star review, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a comment. Either of those helps other people find the podcast because that engagement increases the likelihood of the algorithm liking this. All right, so make sure you do that. Uh, if you like it even more and you want to become a part of the Maker Mom podcast tribe, I'd love to have you as part of the tribe. You can head on over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Maker Mom podcast. There's a few different tier levels over there. There's a one, three, and five dollar tier levels that gets you different merchandise at any of those levels, plus you're part of the tribe, um, and you can get access to live streams when those happen, Zoom meetings when those happen. And then there's a new $30 tier uh, for a month, and that gets you an, become an official sponsor of the podcast for that month that you're at that $30 level. So you'll get your own uh, advertising spot midway through the episode. All right. And then if you just want to get some merchandise because you love Maker Mom podcast, but you don't feel like you want to do like that monthly uh, pledge over on Patreon, you can do freemanfurnishings.com forward slash shop. And there is a Maker Mom tee, which currently has the Mom Squad listed on the back. That's the first 65 episodes of the podcast. All right. So any of those options would be awesome and help support continuing for this podcast to be two episodes a week. All right, and I hope you have a fantastic week, and until next week, I'll see you later.